0: Lock Talk Radio
1: Choices, decisions, frustrations and
0: pain Knowing I'm going to forget her
2: hearts and understand that I Well, hello, everyone. This is Lori LeBay, your host, and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. We've got a really special show for you this evening. Um, Normally, we are during the day here in the U.S., but we have friends from Australia joining us, and so we've changed up the time. So everybody uh, can, can meet their schedules there. Before we get started, because we always have new people listening to our show, um, I always like to explain a little bit about Alzheimer's Speaks, who and what we are. And bottom line is Alzheimer's Speaks is an advocacy-based company providing a, a multitude of platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. We're all about connecting the dots and sharing the knowledge um, that everybody has, from those diagnosed with the disease to families caring for people to professionals providing services, those that have written books, um, that are advocating in various ways through music and film and research. Um, Each of us plays a really important role in shifting our dementia care culture. And we believe by just having these everyday conversations about life with dementia that we're going to be able to remove the stigmas attached to memory loss, that isolation that um, attacks so many in the trenches with this
3: disease.
2: Together, we believe we can really have a comfortable conversation about aging and illness and what our needs are. At the core, once again, we believe collaboratively we can win this battle. And I know that we're making a difference because we were recognized as the number one influencer online for Alzheimer's by Share Care and Dr. Oz. And that would not have happened with just us. That had to do with all of our listeners, all of our followers on our different platforms that we provide, sharing the knowledge. Your clicks, your likes, your shares, they all matter. And so please keep having the conversation. Share the information that you Uh, get from us and that you find on Alzheimer's Speaks with others. That's what it's there for. We want to have a bunch of free resources and, again, connect people all over the world so that they, too, um, can feel a little bit more comfortable in terms of dealing with this disease. I feel real strongly, um, being a daughter who's been on a journey for 30 years with my mother with dementia, that we really need more than one, one way to approach this disease. Um, it ebbs and it flows and it changes. And each of us as as care partners, um, or carers or caregivers, whatever you call it, wherever you live, it makes no difference. It's the same role. Um. You know, we have our good days and our bad days as well. And so it's important for us to acknowledge where we're standing. Um, How are we delivering our cares to those that we love? And I I really um, encourage you all to explore the various opportunities and the vast amount of knowledge that's out there. Um, For one, I did not... um, I did not realize how much information was at my fingertips. You know, when I started this journey 30 years ago, but the the, the um, internet was not so relevant at that time, and that made a really big difference um, in terms of being able to connect with people all over the world. Now we have um, it at our fingertips. And the amount of information that is with us is absolutely incredible. I do want to, um, you know, mention if you are looking for support. Um, one of the great organizations uh, that's available to you is Alzheimer's Disease International. And they are the association of associations all around the world, of Alzheimer's associations all around the world. And you can reach them by just going to www.alz.co.uk And there you can find um, more information in your particular location. I also always like to mention Alzheimer's studies which um, has some clinical trials on tau right now. And so if you want to get involved in terms of research and helping the next generation deal with this disease, Alzheimer's Studies um, is a great way to go. And you can just go to www.alzheimersstudies.com. They also have a, a Facebook page as well, same as Alzheimer's Disease International. And then, of course, One of my um, all-time favorites regarding music, because I think art and music is so powerful, is Music First with Choral Health. And Choral Health has um, just a ton of um, music cataloged for people to help them through their day um, cope. And that can be from waking up in the morning to going to sleep um, to um, calming down a little bit of everything. And they now have music on apps, and that is the music first portion. And you can just go to their website at Coral Health, and that's C-O-R-O health.com. I've also been getting a lot of requests. Because more and more people are being diagnosed with Lewy body, and Lewy body dementia is a category of its own, and there is an association that you can go to for help um, with Lewy body, and it's a, it's a wonderful organization, and their website is um, L B org. that stands for Louis Body Dementia Association.org so lbda.org and you'll be able to get some great information there. Many of you are probably familiar with our buddy Norms McNamara and his Purple Angel, which has taken flight. And really has become the global symbol for dementia awareness. And if you are not familiar with the Purple Angel, I highly recommend that you go to that website, which is purpleangel.org.uk, because there you can get information about how to become a Purple Angel and help uh, help promote the cause and raise awareness. Uh, I am going to go ahead and start the show. I see one of our callers is, is online here with Skyping. In, um, when we're in different com- countries, it always gets a little more tricky. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and introduce Denise Craig. Denise is a psychologist who is dedicated to supporting people with dementia in many different ways. Uh, she cared for her mother who experienced young onset dementia, And she provides dementia support for consumers of the Queen's Island state government in Australia. Denise works closely with memory clinics in her area, providing providing counseling and educational support for people experiencing dementia, as well as their family and care providers. Until recently, uh, Denise facilitated Alzheimer's Australia's programs as the qualified workplace trainer and educator. She also provides professional development support for aged care workers and students. And Denise sits on the QLD statewide dementia clinical network committee and chairs the young onset dementia subgroup of the same network. She created and administers dementia-related support groups on Facebook to help address special needs of this group. And she says her ultimate goal is to help empower and motivate individuals to maximize their quality of life. So welcome, Denise. How are you doing today?
1: Good morning, Laurie, or good evening, your time. Good morning, our time. (laughs) I'm doing really well, thank you. And how are you doing?
2: Doing good. It is hotter than the Dickens here. We are having a major heat wave. It's in the 90s, and they're they're worried about people getting dehydrated because it's hot and humid, just our favorite thing for about a about a week, but you know what? It could be worse. And the weather is it, the weather.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> not, it's
2: not going to hard change. to do
1: something about that one. Yes. Oh, well, good mm-hmm. luck with that.
2: Yep. Well, it's kind of like dementia. It's one of those things that teaches us that you know we really don't have control
1: over it. <laughs> that's that's true. And sometimes things don't work out the way they were planned.
2: Exactly. That's
1: exactly right. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yep. So learning so to I'm, go I'm, with I'm, the flow.
1: That's true and i'm I'm guessing there could be a bit of a difficulty for Christine and Wendy in um getting through the system, perhaps to to the program for the moment, so hopefully they'll join us,
2: yeah, I'm hoping so it it you just never know, and if they're listening, um all they have to do is go to uh, the Skype button on the home page of the radio show and click that. Um, You typically need to have your Skype opened already when you click on that button. Uh, Same can go for callers who want to call in. Um, Have your Skype open and uh, be registered into it, but then come back to the home page of the radio show. Click on that button. They'll ask you a few questions. Just keep saying yes.
1: And uh,
2: and typically you will get into the, the waiting room here. So I think we'll go ahead and get started with our show. I'm so excited about all of the things that you guys are doing over in Australia. I'm just, I, I, I'm so amazed at, at everything people are doing and it just, uh, it really brings me up to hear everything that is going on. So why don't we Talk a little bit more in depth, Denise, on where your interest in dementia really came from. I know that you had mentioned that your mom um, had uh, early early onset.
1: Yes, yes, that's right, Laurie. I, um, of course, as many families do, um, quite some well, some years ago now, noticed that there were some changes happening for Mum that took a little while to realise that they were not completely in line with how mum had always been and slowly but surely it became apparent that perhaps mum wasn't well and so along with my family I commenced um, sharing that journey with mum um, commencing you know of course with seeing doctors and walking up and down those hospital corridors and waiting in lots of waiting rooms and being referred for test after test and you know the the usual kind of a, a a story that people can tell about the the process of achieving a diagnosis of a dementia and so through that through the process I came to realize that some things in dementia land are done really well some things are probably not done so well so I felt a real a direction coming on to see if I would be able to support people in a useful way um, having, having lived the, the, the fear, um, the, the grief, the sense of loss all of those issues that can be associated with watching a person that you love very much um, perhaps struggling with what's happening for them and what's changing so that's really where I came from I, um, I, I spoke to the lady who is now my manager and uh, and I said to her, look, in due course I want your job. She was really kind enough and generous enough to uh, support my um, position into the world of um, supporting people with dementia, and so that's very much what I do now and uh, and enjoy. Wonderful. So,
2: well, good. Well, I see that Christine and Wendy have um, been able to join us. So why don't I go ahead and introduce them, and then we'll continue our conversation here. So I'm going to introduce Wendy Crudell first. Wendy was diagnosed with younger onset dementia about five years ago at the age of 55. At the time, she was looking uh, or she was working full time as a payroll officer in the private health sector. Wendy has three daughters and four grandchildren, and she currently lives alone. She was a member of the Consumer Dementia Research Network for 12 months and currently coordinates a support group for people with dementia. Wendy has given several talks regarding her journey over the last couple of years, and she's done TV and magazine interviews in hopes of changing the stigmas attached to younger onset Wendy wants people to understand that challenges are very different from those diagnosed over 65. Welcome, Wendy. How are you today?
0: I'm very well, Laurie, and yourself?
2: Good, good. I'm thrilled you guys could make it. I'm going to go ahead and introduce Christine next, and then we'll go ahead and... Um Uh, Ask a few more questions and pull, uh, pull you guys all into a conversation here. So our third guest tonight is the renowned Christine Bryden. And Christine was diagnosed in 1995 with dementia at the age of 46. Yes, I said 46. She's an author of two books, Who Will I Be When I Die?, and Dancing with Dementia. Christine has an honors degree in uh, uh, biological science and a master's degree in business administration and a graduate diploma in counseling. Her career started with research in the pharmaceutical industry in England, then scientific publishing in England and Holland and Australia. She spent um, 10 years with the Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organization in scientific information, research planning, and policy development. Christine was then appointed to lead the Science and Technology Division of the Australian Prime Minister's Department. Due to her diagnosis, though, she retired in 1996. Christine was awarded the Public Service Medal in 1994. In 2003,
0: Christine
2: was elected to the Board of Alzheimer's Disease International. She stepped down from this position in 2006, and she appears in the media. She has written articles, given public talks across Australia, as well as many other countries and she is sharing what it's like to live with dementia. Christine was the first person with dementia to give an opening keynote speech to the Annual Conference of Alzheimer's Disease International in 2001. And, you know, what what a stride that was to make. She has been particularly active in Japan, visiting that area seven times, and most recently in November of 2012, where she has contributed to significant changes in the government's policy over there. Please welcome Christine to our show. How are you doing,
3: Christine? Well, I feel quite embarrassed and overwhelmed. What an introduction. Thank you very much. Well, you you know, all three
2: of you, um, I'm just so excited to have here because you all have such terrific voices and missions and this passion, which I share with you in terms of shifting our dementia care culture. Um, so I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw the first question here out to Wendy. And Wendy, can you share with us what were some of the first signs um for you regarding your dementia?
0: Okay, I um, said I worked as a payroll officer for eighteen years in the private health sector and um it became apparent I couldn't remember how to do a back pay, and I couldn't remember meetings that I was in. And things that were discussed and my other colleagues thought, were kept saying, well, can't you remember we discussed this and this? And I said, no, I had no recollection of the conversation. And I honestly thought they were just um, making a joke of it, thinking I. I and, but when I realised I had no recollections of any meetings or conversations, and I started, on a couple of occasions, I took things out of the oven with my bare hands or had put them in front of the door. And I thought, this doesn't seem like this normal stuff. And I went to my GP and she just thought it was menopause. But deep down inside, I knew it was far more than just menopause symptoms. So fortunately for me, I just went to other practitioners to get um, an answer. Mm.
2: Oh, that's nice. My my mom was told that too 30 years ago, and, you know, back then there really wasn't anybody else to go to. Um, it really wasn't talked about, but it was very much poo-pooed to just menopause. And, and she, you know, she kept saying, this isn't right. It just doesn't feel right. I don't think this is what everybody else is going through. And you, it sounds like you, you had that same sense as well. Um, Christine... How about you? What were some of the first signs for you that uh, you were having some difficulty with dementia?
3: Well, for me, I just thought it was stress. You know, I'd get lost on familiar routes. I, I just could, I'd come to a T junction and I couldn't remember whether I left or right. Um, I felt just permanent exhaustion, many, many, many headaches. Um, by the time I got home, I just didn't want to make any more decisions. And I would got names and things muddled up at work. Um, but I just thought it was very distressed. So it really was only when they sent me for brain scans to see why I had bad, bad headaches all the time that they saw that I had quite, quite a lot of brain atrophy, quite a lot of brain damage um and that's okay. when they should prefer the
2: tests okay and and Denise for you do you remember signs with your mom that that stick out because from a from a care partner um angle sometimes it's a little bit different in terms of what we see and what we feel
1: Yes, um, mum started having TIAs, the, um, you know, often referred to as the the smaller kind of stroke activity, and she immediately, her memory was affected. So she became what I called an unreliable witness. But one of the things that really um, brought it to our attention was out of character kind of behavior. So um, a member of the family actually received a cancer diagnosis and mum's reaction was to laugh. And that I knew was not like her so it but it really took a little accumulation of things to happen and actually a friend of hers rang me to say Denise what is it that's wrong with your mother and at that point I thought right something's clearly wrong Um, but you know when when somebody does something out of character sometimes you get a little bit irritated with them rather than understand that actually there was something going on for her that was affecting the way that she behaved. Yeah, so a little bit different.
2: Okay, well, great. Um, let's talk about how you felt when you got diagnosed. And um, Christine, I'm going to throw this one to you. When, when you finally got your diagnosis, how did that hit you?
3: Well, I was totally disbelieving. I just felt that, well, I did say I'm far too young. This is not, you know, it can't be. It's got to be something else. But when that diagnosis was confirmed after a few months of testing with another neurologist, um, it was just awful. I became quite depressed for a year or so. That's when I wrote my first book. Um, and in fact, the the impact was terrible for my girls because my youngest girl was only nine. Um other one was about 13 I think and my eldest was 19 and it was just awful for them to be told which is what I was told that I had five years till I went into a nursing home and I'd die within three years Well, I've obviously outlasted that prediction but
2: it was awful at the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, uh, I, I can't even imagine how devastating that is. Um, I know when my mom got diagnosed, you know, it was, it was pushed off so far because they, they poo pooed it, and then when she was finally diagnosed, because uh, she started having symptoms in her mid 50s, didn't get formally diagnosed um, until her late 60s, and at that time they said she's. The age of a three-year-old don't let her out of your sight and we were like how did we get here and they're really they didn't really talk about um, how long she had to live it was just but it was really all about she she's not going to have any quality of life and she's not going to be able to interact and and that was so far from the truth um, in terms of of how things have have played out and so it's – but it's still devastating because um, so many people are still getting the comments, I think, like you are when they get diagnosed. I think it's gotten better. But there are still a lot of people getting information um, just like you got with no hope. And um, how, how devastating. Wendy, how about you? Um, what was it like when you first heard the words that you had early onset?
0: I think I just felt so numb. It was very hard to absorb, I think. And then, so you're having your pediatrician give you that diagnosis, but then you go out and talk to your family and friends and they all saying, oh, no, you've got nothing. You're fine, Wendy. We don't think you've got anything wrong with you. So you, you're you in this, like, limbo, land, thinking, well, have I got it or have I not got it? And then sort of, from what we were told also, that I would be nursing home within three years. And so then we started making decisions, like I gave up work after six months because I thought that was where I was going to go.
2: Well, and and that's an excellent point that you bring up because given the information you're getting from the experts, you are making Big decisions in your lifetime based that that's accurate information, and you know when it's not, that can be just as devastating in terms of trying to have to regroup again and and try to figure things out um, denise what what are your thoughts on? Uh, you know, well maybe share you know what uh, what it was like when your mom got diagnosed, and then we can kind of get into your thoughts as a professional and what you what you see in this arena as well.
1: Oh, uh, look, I I share what um, Wendy and Christine have said. It it was from my point of view, it was horrifying. Mum was only young. Uh, she was extremely well. She could outwalk me, and not many people do that. Um, she wasn't a drinker or a smoker. She she just was so incredibly healthy. So it had really come out of left field. Apart from the fact that it took a couple of years to actually get the clinical diagnosis, and during that couple of years, we certainly were preparing for the diagnosis, but. Terribly frightening. I mean, I I guess I panicked a little bit. There are the issues of, okay, what can we do now to make a difference for mum now? You know, where should we travel? Who should we contact? What can I support her to actually do while she's able to enjoy doing all of these things? Mum also was working at the time. Um, we did of course then have the opportunity or I, I, I made the opportunity occur to take her away for a holiday so so we went away and, and travelled in, in Australia for a couple of weeks and uh, set about um, spending a little bit of time with people who had been really important to mum in the past so we did that type of thing. Um, um, but certainly, I guess, for the offspring of a person um, having this diagnosis, there's also the, oh, is there a genetic component to this? Am I actually sharing in my own future? Is is that a part of this as well? But I set out to support mum as best as I possibly could and, uh, and, and learn constantly from the experience of us all as a family and as best as I could from mum knowing that I would take that knowledge with me for the rest of my life. I would spend my life doing what I could to utilise that knowledge to the benefit of everyone else. And of course, some of my understanding has come since we lost mum in 2009 and I accept that that, that is the way that it is. Um, but it's, it's always about learning and doing what we can, I think, every day to, uh, I... to apply knowledge.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think so many people um, are, you know, just devastated and touched on such a significant level with this disease, yet so many are raising their voice to say, you know what, I can try to help make it better for the next guy. Um, and and I think that's one of the beautiful things that that I have seen is just people connecting and talking and just having these heartfelt conversations and sharing information. Going, it doesn't have to be this horrific, mm.
3: you know.
2: There's there's a lot of of joy in life to be lived. Um, let us live it. Let us show you how you know, to live with this disease. And I think um, both Wendy and Christine are, are great examples of still living life, you know, not just curling up on the couch with a diagnosis um, and, and, and going forward with what the doctors originally um, had told them. Do you see uh, things have changed at all over in Australia in terms of approach from medical professionals, or do you still see people getting um, these types of comments when they're diagnosed?
1: Uh, look, I think we're, we're, we're growing. At, look, there's no one-size-fits-all for a person with a diagnosis, nor for for the description that comes towards them from their treating health professionals. So there's still going to be difference, of course, and, and perhaps some, some doctors are a bit more um, positive, I believe, than the experience of, of Wendy and Christine. Um, so things are always changing. But having said that, I, I still often hear comments that disappoint me, um, sweeping statements, I guess, you know, the things that stigma are made of, so we've mm-hmm. still got a long way to go, but certainly Christine and Wendy are doing great things in helping to get the message out there because that's how we educate people. Uh, and I I did actually recently have another psychologist make a sweeping statement to me about um, a person with dementia. By the time they have their diagnosis, they may not be able often are not able to contribute to decision making. And I knew that day that we still had a way to go. And we'll yes. we'll keep screaming from the mountaintops, won't we, ladies? Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> now I would like to um, pose to Wendy and Christine. And Christine, I'll throw this one to you first. How did your children react? Did you? I mean, not everybody tells their kids. So I'm wondering, you know, did you tell them right away, or did you did you kind of wait and let it settle in um, for you? So when did you tell your kids?
3: Well, I actually told them the weekend after the diagnosis and I wish I hadn't. I wish I'd let it settle in and I also wish there'd been support for the children of people being diagnosed back then. There was no support. My nine-year-old, when she went to show and tell on the Monday and shared with her class, was told she was lying and was sent to the principal's office. So that was a very negative experience for her and sent her into a spiral of terrible things. Um,
2: oh, how devastating. But, I can't, can't even imagine.
3: Yeah. So, you know, and my uh, 13-year-old, she became very, very withdrawn. Um, and, you know, she's come out of it all now. And they all have come out of everything now. But uh, it, I think it took us Five to ten years to recover and not everybody's got that time I just wish that we'd had more support for that communication of the diagnosis and then ongoing support for the children
2: you know I know here in the US I, I think we're still really lacking with support for the kids um, I, I hear it from the teenagers all the time when and I see it when I go into the schools And one of the things that the the kids tell me here, and I don't know if if you see this there, um, but they say nobody tells us what's going on. I I guess a lot of us in the U.S. are trying to protect the kids and the grandchildren, and they're not told what's actually happening. And they they can see it. They can feel it. Um, You know, they're watching it, but they don't, and they want to help. But they can't because we're, not, we're protecting them instead of being honest with them. And so there's this separation in the family that occurs and this disconnect, which is really um, very, very sad. And so um, in some of our schools now, some of the teenagers are, are trying to get support groups started right within the school systems. Do you have anything like that over there? Um, Christine,
3: I'll I, let you I, answer that. I haven't heard of that, but I know that there is now more support for children, but I haven't heard of support in the school system, but I think our Alts, Alzheimer's Australia has a lot of information for children of young people with younger onset dementia.
0: Wonderful.
2: And, and Wendy, how about you? When did you uh, tell your children?
0: Um, On the day, one daughter was with me at the diagnosis, my youngest, and I did talk to my older two um, on the same day. Um, But they were adults at the time. But I sort of think because I've stayed stable, I think even for them it's a struggle to sort of, to see me with this diagnosis, Um, even though they're very supportive and understanding, and my eldest girl does all the research for me. but, yeah, I still feel because they don't live with me, um, they don't see everything on a day-to-day basis. So I think on occasion, I wouldn't say they forget, but they sort of just yeah, are aware that um, that there is things going on.
2: Hmm. Okay. And um, I, I think it's really important you know, to to hear how their friends reacted to the diagnosis. Now, Christine, you had mentioned that, you know, your daughter was really shunned and told that she wasn't telling the truth and got sent to the principal's office. Did she share with her friends, her close friends, and were they accepting of the disease? No, no because they didn't
3: understand what a damaged brain was and how it affected me. I mean, she was only nine. I just yep. had no communicating this to her, and I did it all wrong. I mean, in hindsight, I did it all wrong. Okay,
2: um, Wendy, how about your kids? Did they have any support through their friends or,
0: or family of friends? It's not something they've ever discussed with me, so I really don't know. It's probably not. Yeah, I'm not sure why I haven't asked that question. To be quite honest, but yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it, yeah, I'm. I yeah. don't believe. Well,
2: yeah, they do. Mm. Okay, well, and it is. I mean, it's just one of those. There's so many questions with this disease. You know how do you how do you think of them all? I don't know if you're familiar with the new book that uh, Max Wallach um, just put out with Carolyn Givens, but he, you know, he is just a, an amazing, amazing kid, 17 years old, in Boston College doing research for Alzheimer's disease, and has. Um, the organization puzzles to remember but he grew up with his grandma having dementia and he has written one of the most beautiful books for children and it depicts like I think it's like a seven or eight-year-old little girl by the name of Julie and and it talks about her life living with her grandma and it explains you know how the brain is damaged and it explains Um, A bunch of different incidents that happen You know from um, Grandma wandering off To the title of the book is called Why did grandma put her underwear in the refrigerator But it's all these You know little things And it's just done so well And so precious And it's all about Their connection And their relationship And they show how not to lose The relationship But they talk about all the feelings um, you know, that come up and, and what can happen during the process of this disease. But it's just, it's so beautifully done. It just brought tears to my eyes reading it. It's very simple and it's, you know, got all these fun little illustrations. Um, and it, it, I think it can teach a lot of adults some great lessons in terms of dignity and respect and really what's important in our relationships and how to care for one another so i don't know if any of you have seen that book at all denise are you aware of that one
1: no but i've scribbled the details down now thanks laurie no i was not aware of it
2: yeah it's it's a brand new book um that just came out i've got it on the blog um i did a little article um on the book and like i said it was just uh, i i think it's i think communicating with our kids is so important um, and letting them feel part, and, and they're so precious in terms of how they connect. And um, many times, especially with the young ones, so non-judgmental, just so mm-hmm. accepting that you know it's not it's not a big deal. And us adults make big deals out of out of things that mm-hmm. a lot of kids kids wouldn't. So
0: yes.
2: anyways. anyways. Um, well let's get on to some other questions here. Uh I think what I'd like to hear um from uh Christine and Wendy is since your diagnosis, you know, what what have you been doing? You know, how how has life changed for you? And Wendy I'll throw this out to you first. Um how is how has your life changed since your diagnosis and and what are you doing
0: now? Okay. Well, in the first six months I I was working full-time at time of diagnosis and then fortunately the company I worked for allowed me to sort of make decisions on when I could wanted to go and what I wanted to do and then they offered me um, a a position of doing filing for them as a casual um, instead of me walking away totally um, with which what I did and then um, they changed management and did terminate me after that. Trying to find work I found extremely hard. Employment agencies just didn't understand. I would say to them, please could you read my Neurosight test and see what you would feel I could do now and then find appropriate work. But it just fell on deaf ears. I had employment agencies wanting me to take all the payroll experience off my resume so no one would ask the question. Why am I applying for positions that are less than, um, that I have more qualifications than what this position is? I found that that took a lot to work through and to let go of Um, and I've now come to the conclusion that I I walked away from that idea of working and so therefore I um, needed to do something that's still worthwhile and to feel that I'm not wasting the time that I have. And I think that's the biggest thing that overwhelms me, that I'm wasting time. And so therefore, I try to figure out what I can do to alleviate that in me. Um, and so therefore, fortunately for me, I met Christine, and from then, I did, I joined the CDRE, but found that that was um, more than my capabilities at this point and I think that's a big thing is okay I can't I couldn't do that but now I look at what can I do um, and so therefore looking being the facilitator of the support group is something I can do and so I feel I can contribute so it' about looking at what I can do now not at what I've lost and can't do um, and then to develop that into something that works for me and that is putting me out there and helping. Um, But I still find I don't get caught up with this day-to-day stuff and sometimes that frustrates me and it concerns me that I'm not achieving as much as I'd like to in a day, but we're working on that.
2: Okay, great. I do want to just mention that I did put the link to the um, article I did on the book, which will give you the links to the book, um, in the chat box there, too. So if anyone is looking for that. How about you, Christine? How has life changed for you since
3: diagnosis? Well, first of all, I stopped work Um within a few days, because I was suffering from these terrible, terrible headaches and I couldn't continue, and I was in a very responsible job and felt that I couldn't do that anymore, but also because I couldn't learn anything new it was was a real struggle, Um, so I needed to patch my life back together again, patch myself back together again, writing my first book helped a great deal and like Wendy said it's important to find meaningful and achievable activity that gives you a purpose in life and for me that's been my years of advocacy um, with the books and with the articles and with talks and through the internet support group um, DASNY, uh since two, year 2000 helping that out making Alzheimer's disease putting a petition to Alzheimer's Disease International for them to include people with dementia. A lot of hard yards put in to make people realise we're not empty shells, we were not... we we had value and that we could be included. Um, and then working in places like Japan. Um, and as Wendy said, it is hard every day. You do get very exhausted with just ordinary things in so it's hard to put a lot of effort into the meaningful things because you get dragged down by all the ordinary things like trying to sort washing or just remember that you've got washing on all those things take a lot of brain power um, but putting my efforts into talks with Paul's help has been really really good for keeping me going Okay,
2: now I did put a link to um, DASNY in there, and for those of you that aren't familiar that, with that, that's the Dementia Advocacy and Support Network, um, which is an international group as well, and they just do some some fascinating um, fascinating work. So that's definitely something that you'll you'll want to check out. Christine, would you mind talking about your two books and, and what they're, you know, why you wrote them and and what they're like? Well, I think
3: the first book came out, arose, because I was so frightened. Who will I be when I die? I mean, who will I be when I die of dementia? If you die of some other disease, you think you're still going to be you. But if I die of this disease, will I still be me? That was the question I was trying to grapple with. And I wanted to go public. I wanted to come out with this disease because it felt like it was a joke you know, old-timers' disease or a senior moment or what have you. And I was quite angry and passionate because I was only 46 and it didn't seem like that, that would still happen, that it would be seen as a natural part of ageing. Um, so I wrote the first book and then... Just before it got published, I realized I was quite lonely. And so I signed up to an introduction agency and met my husband, Paul. So things have gone pretty really well since then. And I wrote my second book because my Japanese publisher actually commissioned it in time for the International Conference in 2004. Then it was trans- you know, then published in English later. The second book talks about what it feels like to have dementia and what you can do to help as well as gives a bit of an update on my life. Um, And it's written from the perspective of talking to people through Destiny and talking to others that I've met around the world, trying to give a sort of whole whole approach to how we feel and what you can do to help us. Wonderful.
2: Well, I I, I think it's so um, interesting, um, you know, your your books and even your connection to Japan and them seeing the value um in this um and I also wanted to to have you, if you wouldn't mind, because I, I think it's a very interesting and was so brave of you when you met your your husband to be when you told him about your disease. I don't know if many would be as brave as you. Are you are you willing to talk about that just to hear and share with people yeah, why exactly. why you told him
3: I do write about it in my second book, so I have be in public. Um, Well, first of all, I didn't tell the introductions agency because I didn't think they'd actually sign me up for any blokes if I told them. But then when I met Paul, he was the second bloke I met, and he was just so lovely. So we talked for about an hour, and then I thought, well, look, I'm going to have to tell him because I have to let this poor fellow, you know, say bye-bye gracefully. But he, he just wanted to look after me for the rest of my life, which has been a real blessing, Um, and his father died of Alzheimer's disease, so it's not as if he doesn't know what he may be in for in the later stages, so it's been really wonderful, and he's really, as a former diplomat, has really enabled me to travel the world, and give talks, and he arranges things, and really helps with that advocacy. And with the second book being called Dancing with Dementia, it's a sort of metaphor for the way Paul and I dance to the ever-changing steps, the discordant dementia. It's changing day by day, week by week, month by month, and Paul and I have to adapt the dance steps to Music of dementia, not that really, you really call it music, really, but you know, it was a metaphor that I used.
2: Well, and I think it's a beautiful metaphor because, um, it, there is it, it is about being spontaneous and about being in the moment and you know about moving together, you know, and and I love that, you know, to me with dancing I mean you've got to have a relationship with that partner you know to make the moves flow and and to me that's what dementia is really here to teach us to do how do we how do we flow with one another in a in a beautiful in a beautiful dance how do we not lose um, our relationships which I think many people um, give up on and they get so overwhelmed with pass um, and they they forget about the, the core of the relationship and so I think it's a beautiful beautiful book title um, Denise anything that you you want to add on that topic uh,
1: actually yes thank you I just like to say in reference to Christine's books um, they they were actually the first books that I read when we had mum's diagnosis and I found them more helpful than all of the experts put together and I say experts lightly in that um, really talking about allied health Christine's books were absolutely beautiful. It was so lovely to read the words and thoughts of a person who had experienced a diagnosis and the changes firsthand. So I owe Christine a great debt uh, for what I was able to gain from her books. Um, And I did have the pleasure of meeting Christine at a conference recently. And actually, during that conference, I saw Christine and Paul dance quite literally. And I have to tell you, they were the life of the party. They danced so well. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I can believe lovely. that. I can I can believe that. Um, when you're so, just from the way you describe your relationship, even from the get-go, you know, you said, I had to tell him he's such a lovely man, you know, um. Mm there's just that connection and that respect um right away that you know we shouldn't lose that to any disease and and i think a lot of times um sadly it is lost and so when we can lead by example and and show you know that it can be fun, and you know it's not perfect. But nothing in life is perfect. I mean, I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> you know, mm. I mean, we we all have our our ups and downs. But it's how do you how do you maneuver through it? You know, how do you still maintain? Now, um, Wendy, it sounds like you're, you're single. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Okay. And so I would imagine it's got to be significantly different for you then um, unless, you know, are you see, you know, and again, if I'm crossing a line here, just tell me that you're not comfortable answering the question because we haven't talked about this. But, um, you know, if are you living alone then or do you have anyone else living with you?
0: No, I don't. I live totally alone here. Okay.
2: And so um, I... I would imagine that might be a little bit scary at some times too or even projecting the future. Is, is that accurate at all or yes. do you not really think about
0: that? Because I, sort of, because I can say I'm doing fine, um, but there's no one about to tell me no, I'm not. So I, there's an assumption on my part. So what I've had to do in a lot of things is, my daughters will come, because I still drive, my daughters mm-hmm. will come drive with me to make sure that I am a capable driver. They will come over and be with me and watch me cook meals and be in the home. So right. I, I have had to set up things because of my choice to be alone. Um, mm-hmm. That, yes, yeah, yeah, if, if that is the way I wish to live, well, then I also have to be responsible in that um, action. And um, But in saying that, it is very it can be very scary because I think if I if I do leave the stove on and burn down the house or um okay I might be okay today but what happens tomorrow? Um so there is a um a part of me that sort of has a concern but hasn't wished to deal with that yet. Um but it will be something that is going to have to be dealt with I do know how. At this point but I've, my thought pattern is that if I try and set up as much as I want and what I'm comfortable with that the transition um, to whatever the future holds may be easier that's the way I'm looking at it at this point that if I sort of think oh, I'll never go into a nursing home well then I think that transition will then become difficult so if mm-hmm. I but looking at nursing homes and things with my children and making decisions with them now while I can. Um, they then feel comfortable about leaving me in the home alone if I am still um offering up that they can sort of still be a part of it, I suppose i you saying here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But in oh, relationship, that... mm-hmm. oh, sorry, in
2: no, go go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: Oh, sorry. No, with regard to relationships, I feel I, I I would love to be in a relationship, but I'm unsure I could um, put that on another person. So I haven't got past that side of it yet. Um, not to saying if a relationship came up, I certainly would be very um, happy with that. Mm. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I, I understand that, and I think that it's um, really progressive and very respectful of you to be looking at things the way you are. And when I say respectful, I mean in terms of your kids and your family, and, and just the honesty um, in which you're proceeding. Knowing that, like you said, well, I can I can tell everybody things are okay, but uh, you know, if I don't have anybody really checking on me, how do, how do I know? <laughs> Um, I I can see that being very valid. We're having a, um, next week on the 23rd, we're doing a a two-hour show. We're dedicating it to driving. And one of the women um, on the show is going to talk about, you know, that she stopped driving because she lives alone and she wasn't sure when that day would come because she didn't have anyone to tell her. And so how she came to that, Decision, And I think that there's a lot of those types of decisions in play in terms of, you know, what, what's best for you. And I don't think that there's one answer, you know, for, for everyone with that. I, I also think that this is a disease that a lot of times people don't think about that person who lives alone. Everyone kind of thinks that everyone's got somebody to take care of them, um, and that's not always always the case. And I think that's,
3: uh that's very true. Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but I think that's very very true. That point you make, and with the rates of divorce um, and people remaining single, it's it's likely to increase, and we need to. Look at resources and support for people living alone in the community. Exactly, exactly.
2: Um, Denise, any thoughts on that? Have you seen anything, you know, over in Australia from the professional side in, in terms of changes in terms of how how we look at people living alone with dementia?
1: Look, I I think we're probably getting better at um, encouraging people to make the decisions that are most right for them. Having said that, I really hear what Wendy's saying too about families often having concerns, and sometimes it's a real grapple for each party, the person who's living alone and people like as in this case, you know, Wendy referred to her daughters. Um, Sometimes there's a real struggle there. There can be a real... Overprotectiveness quite often from um, perhaps families to perhaps um, overreacting to a diagnosis and really wanting to wrap somebody up in cotton wool and prevent um, any kind of risk taking so I often find myself reminding people that we do all take risks every day that's a part of being human we're taking risks every time we leave our front door really and so what is it about a diagnosis of dementia that then has people often overstep the mark really in wanting to overprotect protect a person concern and support is fantastic so it's really a dance with dementia isn't it it's about just testing the waters and, and and being mindful and supportive and really trying to support another person to live as true to their abilities and values as they possibly can so i think from the medical point of view I think that just over time I think we're getting better at really seeing more and more of this as Christine rightly said divorce rates and so on we we do see this happen often but again doctors as well can be very protective and fearful of a worst-case scenario so sometimes we then brainstorm a person's um, right to make lots and lots and lots of decisions in their life and it's about trying to support and empower them and perhaps put support services in place. It may be a matter of a service provider giving somebody a call every day to check that they're okay. We're getting more technology as well. Christine, uh, sorry, Wendy, you mentioned the, the stove. You know, we've got devices now that turn a stove off if it's left abandoned for too long. So we've got a long way to go. But we're probably moving in the right direction.
2: Okay, great. Yeah, we. we it's amazing the technology. It's almost a little scary. I had um, Samsung, who really wanted to donate some some video cameras for uh, to be able to monitor somebody with dementia to kind of uh, help the caregivers know how things were going, and I thought it would be really a, kind of a simple thing to to help them find and so many people were worried of kind of the big brother approach and mm-hmm. who's really going to see the video and um is it really a dignified thing and there were a lot of questions that came up over mm-hmm. this um great tool but again with any great tool there can be misuse too and yes. uh you know how it how it's ad- how it's adapted and i think that uh all of those you know have to be done in a respectful dignified Mm -hmm. fashion now i can't believe our hour has gone by we can still continue to talk but i but i also want to be respectful um christine and wendy are, are you guys still comfortable chatting a bit or do you need to run
3: well we're both getting a bit tired and i'm conscious that wendy has to drive back home in in the rain oh well yeah, go back home still. So maybe we could wrap it up with one more question. Okay. That sounds that sounds good. And, and Denise, if you're able to still stay on a little bit longer, that would be
2: great.
0: Um, yep, are I'm you fine. able to
2: do that? Okay. Yes, well, I am. I'm, I think what we'll wrap up with then is the question and I'll throw this to you first, Wendy, is if you could say one thing to others who are being diagnosed, what would you tell them?
0: not to see it as your life's over. Um, To, as I said before, to find out what you can do now and run with that instead of what you can't do and what um, has changed in your life. You're on a new journey, I think, and you just need to develop that new journey into things that um, are going to make you comfortable and okay and happy Um, And if it's about getting out there and doing something totally different, but you're capable of doing it, go for it, instead of just sort of giving up. Um, I'm a very firm believer that the positive um, attitude is what's keeping me um, stable. um, And I believe the more worked up I get and stressed about it, the more the diagnosis impacts on me. Um so for me it's just about yeah moving forward and making the best of what I have now.
2: Wonderful great advice. How about you Christine what would you tell somebody who uh just gets
3: diagnosed? Well everything that Wendy just said is just great. Um and I I'd, I'd say there is hope in living a new life in the slow lane of dementia.
2: What a beautiful way to put that um what what I got from both of you um in terms of your summary is you know live in uh, through our discussion was live with purpose because it's powerful and it keeps you engaged and um and really, you know when you were talking it's it's about the joy and the connection and feeling comfortable. Um, removing yourself from stressful situations because that just complicates the disease and um, and continue to be the person you always were. Um, we all change. We're all a little bit different, you know, day in and day out. And with disease and illness and aging and just normal aging, we're all going to change. And we, we can't control these cards but we can live a, a purpose-filled and, and, and promiseful and loving life and, and have huge impacts on others. And I think both of you are, are doing that. You're prime examples of, of living with purpose and power and um, impacting others, sharing your knowledge. Just because you have the disease doesn't mean that you, ha- you don't have value and you don't have impact. Um, you do, and you're, you're just leading by example beautifully. So I, I thank you both for, for joining us um, this evening. And people can get a hold of, of Christine by going to her website, christinebryden.com, and that's on the, the website. We'll talk more about that towards the end of the show, but I, I do want to thank you both so much for taking the time to be with us and um, keep living a brilliant life.
0: Thank you,
3: Nori.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you. Drive,
0: drive Thank home you safe. Okay, bye. Bye.
2: Bye. 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 So, Denise, um, in terms of because I still have quite a few questions for you, um, <laughs> in your work, you know, what what do you find most rewarding in terms of the work that you do with the the, the people that you work with?
1: I guess what's most rewarding for me is I give people an opportunity to really speak about what this is like for them. And often a person with a diagnosis is really struggling to feel heard. Um, sometimes, of course, when people voice what this is like for them, they encounter little roadblocks as I call them. Um, and I. I think Wendy mentioned that, that sometimes friends say, oh, you don't have that at all. And people will say, oh, losing car keys or forgetting names. That happens to me all of the time. So often a person with dementia really has difficulty being heard. So that's really the number one priority for me is to hear what, what's going on for them. And so from there, you know, our communications could take any direction because it depends what it is. That the person is experiencing, um, as to where we go from there. But it's really lovely. I find it a privilege to listen to people and help them to work with their strengths. As uh, the ladies again rightly said, what is it that you have that's working well for you? Sure, there's going to be some things that are not working well, and we do all find experiences like that in our own lives. So. How about we have a look at what's working well and how do we develop that further? What's maybe not working so well and how, what, how might we work on protective factors to try to minimize some of the impact of that? Yeah.
2: Wonderful. And then can you tell us what you see in terms of the differences with somebody with young onset versus later onset? What, what would be some of the, the big impact differences? that that you see in here
1: um, often the the, the uh, expectation is different I mean typically with a young onset dementia this has come about as somewhat of a shock um, typically by much later times people are a little bit less surprised by what's happening so people who are younger tend to, To find that this has really come out of left field for them unless they have a very strong family history of a a dementia illness then it's usually a real surprise and then of course goes with that the grief and the loss the, the loss of the dreams the the grief over the lifestyle change people are often still at work They're often under pressure in the workplace because perhaps they're not performing to their usual standards. Uh, They are grappling with whether or not to tell a person how is the the boss or their workmates or their customers or uh, friends, how are they going to cope with knowing about this? Am I going to be shunned? Am I going to be excluded from things? How will people see me differently? They also tend to have Uh, more likely to have a younger family as Christine did um, of course and the issues which go along for the family as well so that can be different they're often still paying off a mortgage you know they're they're contributing to the financial running of the family so those things tend to be a little bit different there's a big overlap with with a later onset dementia but certainly lots of uh, issues I think are sharper for uh, younger people and I tend to see some relationship differences too um, and now this is really unscientific it's from my own observation but I tend to notice often for a person uh, with a younger onset dementia there there's often an um, a suggestion that perhaps the partner might like to to go. You know, a person will say to the the husband or wife or partner, look, go, you you get on with your life. And I've also seen that in the care partner as well, who often seems to be grappling with, really wrestling with what the years ahead might hold. And we're talking about people who are um, pre-retirement. And so I tend to see a little bit more... Um relationship breakdown perhaps or strain and okay. real need for support yeah
2: oh interesting i i I guess that is something that i I hadn't consciously thought of, but yet when you bring that up um i I do see that um, being yeah. more 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 addressed uh, um you know the later i I look at my dad, you know who ended up caring for my mom and you know a man who couldn't boil water and now was in charge of everything and mm-hmm. you know his generation was you know she took care of the family all these years this it's my turn now I mean, and that's just mm-hmm. how it was looked at and I think with younger generations um sometimes you know we, the relationships aren't that strong, you know mm-hmm. uh People are worried about what's this going to look like, and um, a lot of times people are still caring for the other person and not used to being cared for um, when it's mm-hmm. diag- diagnosed earlier versus later. So I don't know if that has something to come into come into play with it. Like my mom, when she got you know formally diagnosed, I don't think she really would have been able to even formulate a separation in her mind mm, mm. Um, you know come up with that where if she would have gotten diagnosed when she first started that conversation may have occurred
1: yes and, and it, it's often out of love for the mm-hmm. other you know the person with dementia when, when I see people with dementia suggesting that perhaps they the relationship break down they're really very protective and feeling very responsible for mm-hmm. having perhaps they're forcing upon another person, the person that they love, they're forcing upon this person a, a real a left of field change. And so they can see the, the person that they love continuing to work and actually experiencing potentially more on their plates going to work through the day and then coming back and actually cooking dinner at night and maybe doing the paperwork that are paying them, controlling the finances that maybe they didn't do before. So sometimes. Yeah, it's out of a real respect that the person is saying, "Look, this has happened to me, but it doesn't have to happen to you as well." So I'm giving you permission to fly the coop and go and get on with your life. Yeah, and yep. sometimes it does actually result in in a relationship breakdown. But there's 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 two losers in there. You know, nobody comes out on top. It, there's a great deal of sadness. Yeah
2: yeah and and I would tend to agree that it is out of that sense of of being a burden um and and out of love for for the other person um mm. as as well you know when I see that um can you explain to our audience a little bit more about your young onset um, dementia support group that you have, and you know how do they how do they tap into that?
1: I'd be delighted to now this page actually came about because I was seeing lots of relatively young people with dementia who would of course say is there anybody else out there who's going through this, or is it just me? Again, when people are perhaps in their 80s or 90s, they know there are other people going through the same thing. But people often in their 40s or 50s are not sure that they're not alone. So that led me to wanting to create a way of putting people in touch with each other. And I soon realized, you know, Australia's a really, really big country, America's very, very large. And often people are geographically isolated and why should they be excluded? I think people feel isolated enough in the middle of a capital city when they're experiencing a young onset dementia without any of the extra burdens. And of course, even in a city, people may have difficulty traveling to a support group. So I wanted to establish a way of connecting people with young onset dementia with each other and also to provide people with young onset dementia uh, a forum whereby they could actually express themselves remembering that what I enjoy most about my job is giving people an opportunity to speak and be heard wow today we have social networking and that's a really clever way of providing a platform for people to have their say and absolutely be heard so uh, it's young onset dementia support group through Facebook so what? Folks do is usually friend the page so that they'll actually get the updates as they come through and also of course go through and read either what is being posted by an administrator or they can actually read posts by other people with dementia so people with dementia who wish to um, tell their story and Um, post something publicly are able to do that and then their their words are being read very very quickly and I because I'm an administrator I do have access to the statistics and so I will see uh, how rapidly a, a word is actually getting out there how many people are reading so so people tap into it to say, look, this is this is what this is like for me, this is what I'm finding. And I think there's a great deal of comfort in knowing that they're able to reach others who can then respond and uh, perhaps give them a pat on the back and say, Well done, you're you're doing so well, et cetera, et cetera. Um and sometimes people use it to identify others going through an experience that they can relate. To, and they then contact each other privately so of course I don't know how many people are doing that I know that they're doing it I know that people do contact each other and arrange sometimes to catch up for coffee or perhaps email each other or just have the the private Facebook communications um, and I'll never have the statistics on that so I I always encourage people to get out of it whatever it is that's most helpful to them whether it's reading something about the latest research or watching a vetted YouTube clip um, gaining awareness that this program is on now for instance it's about getting out of it whatever would be most helpful now beyond people with dementia using the page there are also People such as um, decision-makers in government who follow the page which I find really positive so that the voice of the person with dementia is actually getting not only to their peers but also to people in government to people who provide care either professionally or perhaps supporting another loved one um, it really it, it, this this opportunity even for people like psychologists Um, professional care providers um, doctors to really read the beautiful articulate voices of people who have engaged with the Facebook page remembering that when a person with dementia sits down to write on a page they can actually take as long as they like to formulate their thoughts um, edit if they wish or really consider carefully what it is that they're saying. And those types of opportunities don't typically happen in a conversation. And uh, and so often a person with dementia may choose not to to say much or perhaps they, you know, look back later and say, what did I say that for? Because don't we do that? So this gives them an opportunity to really um, take their time and uh, formulate their words if they wish and post it publicly.
2: You know, I, I have found that with um, even even my in? blog. Yep, I'm still here. Can you hear me? I'm here. Hello? Hopefully you can hear me. Um, Denise, are you there? Well, I'm not sure if we've lost connection there or not. I can, I I can hear her. I can hear you. Um Anyways, I was going to say, I've, I know with my blog, I've, I find that um, uh, people respond as well and they like their voice being heard. I'm not and, sure if you
1: can hear me, Laurie, but I've dropped out. I might just shut down and come back on and see if you're there then.
2: Okay. Yep, because I, I can hear you. So if you want to go out and, and come back in, that's fine. Um, but I, am, I can hear you just fine. And that sometimes happens with, uh, with the Skype issue here. But it, it's showing me that you're, that you're on. So I'm not quite sure what happened. Anyways, we'll see if Denise um, is able to come back in with us or not. But with uh, the Alzheimer Speaks blog, um, sometimes people are surprised at the comments that they get or just how good it feels to write it down um... and to maybe have someone else like it or share it Um, how you know i just how moving that that is and how healing that process can be for somebody with our dementia chats webinars which we do on the second and fourth wednesday of each month that is um... you know those are all free But it's very exciting to hear people talk because our experts are those with dementia. And then our audience is a variety of people. Um, Some have dementia. Some are caring for loved ones. Some are business professionals. Some are advocates. um, Some are through the government, like Denise said. It just all depends. And but we get everybody talking together, um, asking questions, and really connecting and having these honest conversations and and sharing knowledge, which is. So enlightening from many, many avenues. And so it's just kind of a a beautiful thing to be able to have a platform where people can connect. So I would really encourage people to go to the Young Onset Dementia Support Group. And even though it is, um, you know, over in Australia where it started, voices around the world are connecting. And so go ahead and let your voice be heard. And make some friends in different areas because this is not a disease that is isolated um, to any one country or any one um, authenticity. It doesn't make any difference, you know, who you are or we're finding out even what age you are. Uh, these conversations need to be have. We need to raise global awareness and we need the voice. To be heard of those dealing with with the disease Well, it's looking like Denise cannot get back in So maybe her, her Skype went down over there Again, you can just type in Young Onset Dementia Support Group On Facebook to go ahead and communicate with Denise And if you're interested in talking with Wendy or Denise You can just let her know that as well and again, with Christine Bryden, you can just go to christinebryden.com and you'll go right to her website. And from there, you'll be able to um, check out her books, uh, Who Will I Be When I Die?, and Dancing with Dementia as well. Uh, We will be hearing more from these three wonderful ladies. I'm sure they are a powerful force that I know that I personally want to stay connected to. Before I uh, um, close the show, I do want to mention a couple of things. One, if you weren't able to listen to our last radio show, we had uh, author Linda Berhens on, and she really talked about her journey with her mom. She's an exceptional speaker and trainer, but she talks about the grief and, and the blessings wrapped in the disease. And then we had Dr. Steve Humes on who was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease and that was a, a quite fascinating conversation as well. All of our shows on Alzheimer's Speaks are archived so you can you can go in and uh, listen to them at will anytime. Our next radio show will be next week and that'll be on the 23rd. And that is going to be a two-hour special where we are going to be uh, discussing dementia and driving. So with that show, we will have people with dementia. We're going to have insurance companies, doctors, and caregivers all discussing this topic on how do we handle uh, driving and somebody with dementia. A very hot topic, and I hope that you will join the conversation uh, on the 23rd with us. Some of the past blogs since uh, since our, our previous show, i I wrote one that I was so proud of our memory cafe members were part of a panel, and they just did an absolutely fascinating job. and they uh, they did an educational panel here in Roseville, Minnesota, um, and just talked in earnest what it was like. I am going to highlight a couple more things, and I see Denise is back with us, so I'll pull her in. I also did a blog for, I'm doing some things with uh, Verizon, and I am one of the Verizon uh, voices, um, which is a boomer. And I I talked about the Droid Razor Max, and uh, I'm part of this group. I get to be able to honestly uh, talk about features um, of the phones and apps and things, and I just talked about the quality of the uh, the sound system and how I use Pandora um, for music when I go visit my mom and how powerful that is. There's also a great video called Do You Know Me Now? And uh, you, again, you can go to the, the website, alzheimerspeaks.com, into the right hand side there is a feed for the blog and you can go go right there um, for that Denise I'm glad you were able to make it back how are you doing?
1: Yes good thank you Laurie I'm not sure at what point I dropped out but I think I told you the story of my life and then realized you were not talking back. Well,
2: and actually, I could hear everything you were saying, but for whatever whatever reason, we weren't connecting, so not a problem. You just, you never know. Technology is wonderful when it works the way we want it to.
1: Absolutely. Well, I do apologize, but yes, I'm back.
2: Well, great. I was just um, telling people, you know, encouraging people to still go to uh, your 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 um, Facebook page for young Onset Dementia Support group. And um, I was gathering that some might wonder, well, I'm in the US and they're in Australia. Does it really make sense for me to be part of this group? and And in talking to myself, I said, yes. You know, make the connection. Let your voice be heard, um, because this disease doesn't distinguish um, or discriminate as to who who it's going to hit, and how it's going to hit. And I think that there's so much to be learned. Was that an accurate statement for me to
1: to welcome everyone to your page? (laughs) Thank you. Yes, I think that's right. I think actually we have probably the United States as what we do from Australia. I certainly field many private messages as well from the United States and as you've correctly said dementia doesn't discriminate and so this is about sharing those experiences and people are following the page from all around the world There are some things that are different. I may possibly post an Australian-specific government initiative, for example, but much of what is posted is actually generated by the United States. I aim for something that's helpful wherever in the world that it has come from. So I'm always happy to take feedback if uh, folks in the States would like something slightly differently. Then if they're a person with dementia and this is something important to them, then I will be doing everything that I can to tap into contacts in the United States to gather the answers that are most helpful to them. So it really does bring the world, um, make the world a smaller place. I did actually have a lady from the United States who was only 36 when she contacted the page last year. Now she has been diagnosed with dementia and she said that she was the only patient of her neurologist. I don't know, uh, young young uh, onset dementia patient I'm referring to of her neurologist. So she so said, I don't know whereabouts she stemmed from, but she found it really supportive to um, connect with a young onset um, community online. So oh, yes, you answered it very well.
2: Yeah, I can't imagine that it's not. And even when you said you post stuff, you know, for, you know, uh, what the government's doing over there, I find it um, extremely helpful. And it's kind of funny because I think every country looks to other countries and we all think the other guy's ahead of us and is doing cool mm-hmm. things because the grass is always greener on the other side. But there's just so That's much true. to learn. There's just so Absolutely. much to learn. And um, and it's just a it's a beautiful, inexpensive, 24-hour accessible tool, and it's just kind of asinine that um, our governments haven't gotten behind um, how to communicate. Anyways, here in mm. the U.S., they really have not embraced how to you know how we can utilize this tool um, to, mm. to make a better world. And and I think that that's just so critically important. And it seems like there's a lot of, uh, I mean, there's a lot of big organizations, but there's so many more even small grassroots efforts really Mm -hmm. connecting people. And I think that that's just such a critical, critical piece. I know some of the other. Um, groups on Facebook and, and again, I think it's okay for people to belong to more than one group, um, just like we do in real life. We have different circles of friends that meet different needs at different times and uh, you know, as long as you're feeling connected and respected, um, you know, that's really what it's all about and hopefully you can get a laugh in, along the way as well. And, yes. Uh, and enjoy enjoy life. So I I so appreciate all that you are offering people and um, and the significant work and dedication that you have in terms of shifting our dementia care culture. It's it's quite admirable and um, so needed, so so needed. So I appreciate uh, oh, your... Oh, always a pleasure.
1: And thank you, of course, for what you do because I I really believe that it's by us all coming together and sharing our voices together that most effective change will occur and I I have likened this often to you know if we each operate entirely on our own it's a bit like bailing out what's most helpful is for us to join our energies and and pull together Uh, you know it takes a whole village Uh, to support others uh, I think that's a given
3: very very
2: much so and I think it's uh, you know with this disease and and my audience has heard me say this a zillion times I it's a it's a blessing in many ways because it's teaching us how to be more collaborative and it is pulling the world together Um, Even though it might be um, disease and illness related, um, it is teaching us how to better live with one another all around the world and how to learn from one another, how to share knowledge um, and research and just compassion. And that's, that's a pretty big lesson. Um, yes. a, and a beautiful one that that is wrapped in this disease. If we will embrace um, the positive, mm-hmm. you know, yes. that, that can come. So, well, yes. again, I I thank you so much um, for your time and your expertise um, in sharing uh, with us today. And it was so much fun to have Christine and Wendy with us on the show as well. And again, I encourage our audience to go to the Young Onset Dementia Support Group on Facebook, or you can visit Christine Bryden's page and um, find out more about her, her books um, there. And again, if you're looking for a, a support group anywhere in the world, feel free to also tap into Alzheimer's Disease International and, um, and find resources, you know, anywhere in the world that might be able to help you in terms of a physical support group along with other, other knowledge. And then um, last, I would like to just give a plug to Alzheimer Speaks, um, our resource um, website. There, again, you can uh, tap into our dementia chats which happens twice a month. You can uh, find out when the radio shows are or hit the archives. Um, you can get to the blog. And then, of course, we're in the process of building the um, International Collaborative Resource Directory, which is where everybody can share information. And if you'd like uh, to learn how, just shoot me an email. Again, go to Alzheimer's Speaks. Dot com And just uh, click on the contact us and I would love to talk to you. Maybe one of our listeners out there wants to be our next guest. Um, we talk to anybody who has a passion to make a difference in the world of dementia. So thank you again, Denise. Thank you, all of our listeners. And please, if you haven't done so already, um, please go ahead and like and share and tweet the show. Push it out to your LinkedIn groups or Google circles, Um, whatever it is um, that you can do to help raise the voice of all Again, this is about bringing us together as one to improve the lives of those living with dementia. Thank you again, Denise, for joining us.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Laurie. Lovely talking to you and good night, listeners.
2: (laughs) Good night. Bye now.
1: Good night. ta da.